0: We've been looking at God's precious promises. Dr. Reed has been leading us through this series. I'm I'm thrilled. I love studying the promises of God. And we've been talking about all kinds of things like His peace and different things that we've looked at every Sunday. This morning, we're going to look at God's precious protection, His perfect protection. It's all based out of uh, 2 Peter, the first chapter, the fourth verse, where it says, God gives us His great and precious promises. And we know that these promises are laced throughout Scripture where He promises us us different things that He will do for us and how He will care for us and watch over us. And this morning, we want to look at His perfect protection. So if you will take your Bible and you will turn to the 18th chapter of the book of Psalm, the 18th chapter, and we're going to look at the very first three verses there as we talk about God's perfect protection. Now look, you have really three options about how to protect uh, or how to gain protection. One is, for sure, you can protect yourself. There's no doubt about it that one of the things that you can do is learn how to protect yourself. I've often teased, uh, I know that many of you have your CHL license, your concealed handgun license, and we've talked about different times in our life where things might happen where you would need to use a weapon. God forbid that we would ever need to use a weapon here in this church, but knowing that we sit in deep East Texas and knowing that I know many of you very well, I can tell you that there are people that are sitting around you right now that are protected. And people have asked me before, what in the world would we do if somebody came in to do us harm? And I've always said the first thing I'm going to do is go to the floor because there will be so many people standing and shooting that I am scared to death if I was to stand up also. Honestly, we have very, very well-trained people who are protecting themselves and protecting us, and God forbid that we would ever need that protection, but there's certainly... That understanding that you can protect yourself. Most of you know that you pay for protection. Uh, when you write your tax check or when you pay your taxes to this city and to the state and to the federal government, you are paying partially to be protected. Uh, most of you are well aware that you can call 911 at any time and somebody will come as quickly as they can to offer you protection and sometimes you need that protection and sometimes unfortunately we have to make that call but i'm here to tell you that there's only one protection that's really ultimately worth having and that's protection of god almighty he's the best option of protection for all of us and until you place your faith in god you're not fully protected but once you do place your faith in God Almighty you are fully protected. Look at Psalm 18 the first 3 verses. It says I love you O Lord my strength the Lord is my rock my fortress and my deliverer my God is my rock in whom I take refuge he is my shield and the horn of my salvation and he is my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. Now, what I want to do this morning with you is just take those three verses and work through the words that help us to understand the protection of God. So, you'll see in your outline that I've listed six different things that are enumerated in those very first three verses that help us to understand about God's perfect. Protection. I I appreciate and, and thankful for the writer here, who starts off and says, "I love you, O Lord." When you look at that word "love," there, it's exactly what you would understand it to be. It's it's that word where uh, the writer, the author, is looking to God and said, "With all my heart, I dearly love you." It's a, it's a understanding from the the the, the word. of a a tender love, of a precious love. It's also the understanding of a very intense love. Um, Most of you, uh, if you're married, hopefully you will turn to your wife or your husband, and you will utter the words, I love you. And when you say those words, hopefully you will mean it. Laura and I try to tell each other as often as possible that we love each other. And as I was uh, in the closet this morning and she came walking by. I grabbed her and I hugged her and I was holding on to her. And she turned to me and said, I love you. And I held her, uh, hold, held her very tightly and squeezed her. And she walked away. And I reached up to grab my shirt that I was going to put on this morning. I was grabbing my shirt and she said, And you say? <laughs> and I went, Oh, oh yeah, I love you. And she said, yes, and you're not supposed to be prompted to say that. And I said, you're right, I'm not, I'm sorry. And it was important for me, and it was important for her to hear the intense love that I have for her, the deep love, the desired love that I have for her. And she wanted to hear me voice it. Your Heavenly Father is no different. He wants to hear His children express His love for Him. And so the writer starts off, I love you, O Lord, and you are my strength. And then he goes on to say, the Lord is my rock. Let's look at that word for just a moment. God is our rock. That word is used 24 times just in the book of Psalms. 24 different times in the, in the book. And it's equated with strength. You can understand that if you look at Psalm 1831. Just on, For me, it's just one page over, but it says, for, all, uh, for who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock? Speaking of strength. And who is the rock except our God? And then it goes on to say in verse 32, It is God who arms me with strength. And he makes my way perfect. This understanding of God being your rock and being my rock is an understanding that he is our strength. It's the understanding of what a rock truly is, which is unchangeable. Now, this past Friday, we had uh, the privilege and the honor of uh, burying somebody who is very near and dear to us. Elizabeth Castellaw uh, went from us, from our understanding, way too early. At 47 years of age, she succumbed to a battle with breast cancer that she'd been fighting for five years. And Friday, in this very sanctuary in which you sit, we conducted her funeral service, Dr. Reed and I did. A very precious lady. Many precious stories about her and about that family. We prayed for them to have strength. We prayed for them uh, that God would be their rock, that he would protect them during this time. I appreciated what Anthony showed me. One of the the things that uh, Anthony and the Castellaws loved to do was to go uh, up to Montana uh, to visit uh, up there and vacation up there. And they would go up there uh, every summer and and try to vacation. Anthony uh, works with environmental services and quite often they would call him. To come up to Montana and do some environmental work and as he would go up there he would take his family and they would turn it into vacation time and in August of this year when Elizabeth was fading fastly and and, and things were not going well at all with her health uh, they called Anthony and said we need you to come up and do a little environmental work and he thought about it and wasn't sure what to do, and then he told them, well, he would come up very quickly for just a couple of days, and uh, they would, he would do the work very quickly, and then he would come back home. And so he turned to Elizabeth, and he said, Elizabeth, I'm going to go up to Montana. They've asked me to come do some work. I'll go up there very quickly, do two days' worth of work, and turn around and come right back, and I'll be back with you. And she turned to him, and she said, You're not going without me and you're not going without the family. And so one of the last pictures that Anthony has of Elizabeth in the family is whitewater rafting in Montana two months before she passed away. He was showing us some of the different pictures that he has of Elizabeth, and one of the pictures was a, a picture that an artist in our church did. Uh, beautiful picture of Elizabeth uh, on a rock, And uh, he said, uh, he was showing, showing me the picture, and he was showing me the picture of Elizabeth sitting on that rock. And he said, every summer when we go to Montana, he said, I take a picture of the rock with my kids sitting on it. He said, you know why I do that? And I said, no, tell me why. He said, because the rock never changes, but my children do. And he said, I can keep looking at the rock, and it's always the same rock, but the photograph of my children shows them getting older and older. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is what scripture is teaching us right here. This is what God is telling us when he's saying he's your protection. He's saying I'm the rock, I'm unchanging You go through all different kinds of things in your life. All different kinds of things will happen to you and to me in the years that God grants us here on this earth. But he will never change. He is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. And God will never change. Not only does it say God is our rock, but it says in verse 2 that he is also our fortress this word here, and I'm going to take all these words and just tell you what the the definition and the understanding of these words are. Uh, God is our fortress implies that He's a, like a castle. He's like a fort, a stronghold. I, I thought about the different times that I've seen castles and, and different times in movies that we've seen castles and forts. And, and the, the one that always comes to my mind is, is, is the castle that's built, but it has a moat around it. And it's just that, that understanding that there's no way that you're going to be able to get to the castle because there's so much protection. But the understanding here in this this word of fortress is the understanding of not something that's built on level ground, but something that's built high up in the mountains, way up at the very top where it's almost impossible to get to. And then for there to be a castle built on top of that, a fort built on top of that, so that, in fact, one of the the commentators I, I read when I was studying said this, and it fascinated me because he said, it's the kind of place that your enemies look at and they just turn around and walk away because they know there's nothing that they can do. We had the privilege not too many years ago to go to the Holy Lands, and there's a place there called Masada, If you've never heard about it or never read about it, I encourage you to to look up the word Masada, M-A-S-A-D-A. And there you will find a place. I had not studied about it much or heard about it much. In fact, in seminary, I had a book that was given to me while I was in seminary, a book called This is Masada. And I had looked at it all through seminary wondering what it was about but had never read the book. And it wasn't until I went to the Holy Lands that I found out about this place where uh, the Jewish people had gone to, to, to hide, to protect themselves from the Romans. And it's, it's an unbelievable place. It's a place where you have to take a trolley car to get to the very top, and it's a, it's a big, big rock that just skies up into the, to the uh, sky, it goes way up into the sky, and then there's a flat uh, level land up there, and the Jews who were uh, being persecuted by the Romans uh, just went there uh, to hide, and they lived there for three years. They, they grew crops. They, uh, they had this incredible cistern system where they were able to get water there and all kinds of things, and that's where they hid from the Romans for three years, and the only way the Romans were able to finally get to them and, and to capture them was to build a a road up to it that took literally three years for them to build. And even as they got close to the Jewish people, the Jewish people had enough weapons to throw at them and rocks to hurl at them to do damage to them. And finally, the only way the Romans could figure out to finish and complete the road was they brought Jewish people that they had captured to build the end of the road because they knew the the Jewish people on the top of Masada who were hiding would not throw rocks and kill their own people. And that's how they finally were able to get up there. Well, this is an understanding of who God is in your life. He is your rock. He's your castle. He's your stronghold. He's so strong and he's so protective of you that even when the enemies look at you, they don't want anything to do with you. And if you put your faith and place your faith in God Almighty, He will be your fortress. Not only is He your rock and not only is He your fortress, but the scripture says that He is your deliverer. And the understanding here is is a ship that comes to rescue you and take you away. It's the understanding of of what it's like to, to get on a ship and to just sail away from your enemies. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever had the opportunity to be on a cruise. It's kind of an amazing thing. I wasn't sure that I would ever uh, enjoy going on a cruise. And about 10 years ago, Laura and I decided for one of our vacations that we would go on a cruise. And so we drove down to Galveston and we got on the ship and we sailed out out of Galveston. And As we were sailing out of Galveston, one of the things that's always occurred to me, and and that I've one of the reasons that I always wanted to be on a cruise ship, is because sometimes uh, when we're conducting a funeral service, Dr. Reed will mention, or I will mention, uh, the understanding of what it's like to leave this earth and, and to go to heaven. And one of the ways we try to help people to understand the great joy of, of leaving this world is that as soon as you leave this world, you're ushered into the next world. And, and the, the best illustration that I've ever heard is one that Dr. Reed uses uh, at a funeral service when he talks about when you stand on the shore and you watch a cruise ship sail, you finally see it go smaller and smaller and smaller, and before long, it's just a dot on the horizon, and then before long, it disappears over the horizon. But the great news is that wherever that ship is sailing to then begins to appear like a dot and then becomes larger and larger and larger until it sails into port. And that's the understanding that's going on here when you think about God being your deliverer. God has placed you on a ship and he's sailing you away from your enemies and he is protecting you from those who want to do you harm. And if you have your faith placed in God Almighty, he will put you on that ship and he will sail you away from your enemies. And one day he'll usher you into the presence of God Almighty himself. And that's what we have to look forward to. It's also the understanding of, a, uh, of shipping out or, 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 or the word delivers, the understanding of almost like you and I when we wait for a UPS package or a post office package or FedEx package. It's that understanding that you wait in anticipation for God, knowing that he's going to be faithful to deliver you. One of the incredible things about the advent of the computer system and the things that we're able to do now with the internet is you can track packages and you can watch that package make its way towards you. I ordered something for Laura the other day and when I ordered it, it said it would get there in two days And I got an email that said, you can track your package. And I went to click to track that package and I had ordered it on Wednesday expecting it to be there on Friday. But when I clicked on track the package, it said on Thursday that that package was out for delivery. And I went, well, how can that be? It was supposed to take two days. How in the world could it have gotten here in one day? And sure enough, I went home. I had the package delivered to our house. And on Thursday afternoon... The, the FedEx man left that package at my front door. That's the kind of God that you and I worship, the kind of God that delivers you unexpected protection, unexpected things in your life. When you least expect it or when you think he will not deliver, he will come through for you and he will be faithful. The scripture says also, not only is he your rock, not only is he your fortress, and not only is he your deliverer, but he is your rock in whom you can take refuge. And then it says, he is my shield. He is my shield. Well, what does that word shield mean? It means he protects you. He guards you. He defends for you. The word that best describes it is what you and I know as a windshield on our card. It's the best understanding of what it means to be, uh, for God to be your shield. And, and, and the reason that windshield is the best is because it helps you to understand that you have visibility to see what's going on in your life, but you're still protected. Uh, I wrote down the word screen here. That's exactly the understanding of this word here is the word screen. And when I was looking at commentators, I was uh, confused for a minute because they kept using this word screen like I would use windshield. And then I realized that I was reading British commentators. And if you know much about British cars, they call the windshield the screen or the windscreen. Well, that's what it's doing. It's protecting you from all the things that are coming at you in life when you're driving down the road at 70 or 75 miles an hour, but yet you're still able to see what's going on in your life. Well, that's the understanding here. God doesn't make you blind. He doesn't uh, want you to not be able to see where you're going. Some people think that that's how God works, that we follow him blindly, but that's not true. He gives us vision to see where we're going and opportunities that lay in our path. But he wants you to know that as you begin to take those opportunities, that he is a God who protects you, who watches over you. And if you have placed your faith and trust in him, he will protect you. Clay Jones, one of our church members who drives our bus, but also has volunteered to drive uh, some other uh, people sometimes told me just the other day that he was, uh, the, I think one of his children goes to the Nazarene ch- uh, church for school and he was asked to drive the bus for them on a field trip and so he agreed to do that and got in their bus and started driving here north of town and he said he was going about 65 or 70 miles an hour and out of nowhere came a hawk. And he said, that hawk just smashed into the windshield right in front of his face. And he said, I grabbed hold of that, that steering wheel and I thought, here we go. He said, I'm getting ready to have hawk all over my face. He thought that was, that was just his thought. And he said, that hawk hit that windshield and just smashed, but didn't come through. Didn't crack it at all. He said, I have no idea how it didn't break the windshield. It hit with such force. Well, there's two things. I believe that Clay has a defender in his life, and that defender is Jesus Christ. And I believe with all my heart that Clay was protected that day by the screen, by the screen that God had placed in his life. Well, not only is God our rock and our fortress, our deliverer and our shield, but God is also our salvation. Aren't you thankful that God protects you with salvation? It says, he is my shield and the horn of my salvation. What does salvation mean to you? Well, I wrote down just a couple of words and I wrote down liberty and prosperity. Now hear me when I say these words. Liberty means you have freedom. Because you are in Jesus Christ, you have freedom like nobody else in this world can experience unless they're a believer also. Because you have Jesus Christ in your life as a believer, you have the freedom to do what God wants you to do and what God has called you to do. You don't have to put on a performance for this world You don't have to make a certain income to be appreciated. You don't have to be a certain skin color. You don't have to be a certain height. You don't have to be a certain weight. You don't have to have prestige. All you have to have is Jesus Christ. And when you have Jesus Christ, you have liberty to do what he has called you to do and what he wants for your life. And nothing could be more freeing than to know that Jesus Christ is your salvation. But it also means prosperity. And it certainly doesn't mean prosperity that the way many, many people would teach you that it means. It doesn't mean that you're going to have any certain kind of wealth in your life. But what it means is you're going to have good things in your life. Now listen to me when I say the word good things. Elizabeth Castellaw battled with cancer for five years. I told you about her just a minute ago. But she had good things in her life. She had a good family, she had a good husband, she had a good job. And now she has a great reward. And the prosperity that you may be looking for may not come until you say goodbye to this world and say hello to heaven. But if that's the prosperity that God has for you, it's the ultimate prosperity and there's nothing better than that. He may make you rich here. He may make you famous here. But one day, you'll be famous in his face. And you'll stare at his beauty face to face. And you won't care about a single dime you ever earned. You won't care about your health anymore because he'll take care of your health. You won't care about your job or your schooling or how many PhDs are after your name. But one day you'll be thrilled just to stare in the face of God Almighty. I love what it says in the scripture where it says, death, where is your sting? Because you see, when you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're even delivered from your enemy. You know when the ultimate delivery is going to happen to you? It's going to happen the day you die. The day you die is the day that you get to laugh at Satan in the face if you're a believer in Jesus Christ Because the day you die is the ultimate reward for you as a believer in Jesus Christ. There is no sting in death. When we had a funeral service here on Friday, we had a celebration service. Because Elizabeth Castellaw met Jesus face to face on Monday at 6 o'clock in the evening. And all we did was put in the ground the shell that she used to live in. But she wasn't here anymore. Can I, can I share with you something very quickly that is just kind of a side note to the importance? I told you just a minute ago how honored I am to work with the people that we have on this staff here. But I, I need to explain something to you about why we are so uh, blessed to have God's perfect protection and why it's important for those of us who have God's perfect protection Protection to be about doing his work. You know why it's so important? You know why it's important for you to serve at Glory Gang or for you to serve at Love Inc or for you to teach Sunday school here or for you to work in the nursery or you to sing in this choir? You know why it's important for you to be involved in places of service? Because the reason I can tell you about Elizabeth Castellaw and the reason I can tell you with assurance where she is today is because of some people in our church who took the time to serve their Savior and do what he had called them to do. Elizabeth Castellaw lived in Nacogdoches from 1982 to 1983 before she moved back 10 years ago. From 1982 to 1983, she lived here one year. She was a sophomore in high school. Uh, Right around the end of that first semester that she lived here. You called me as your youth minister in May of 83. She had been in school for a few months and uh, I met her. Laura and I met her. Did you know that there was three families in our church that invested in Elizabeth? The Biggerstaffs, the McCorders and the Browns invested in Elizabeth's life. They found out uh, when she was here in town Because Miss Brown, Claudette Brown, and her husband Charles lived close to her. They found out that she wasn't going to church anywhere. And as she was not going to church anywhere, and they began to take notice of that, and she was invited by several of her high school friends to come to Wednesday night and just hang out with some of the youth here at our church. She came with a ride. Claudette Brown picked her up and brought her. And the bigger staffs in the McQuarters taught her in Sunday school, and they began to love on her. And one day, she went into Dr. Reed's office and said, How do you become a believer in Jesus Christ? And Dr. Reed, in his office, led Elizabeth to the Lord. And Elizabeth moved away at the end of her sophomore year. About 10 years ago, when she had married Anthony, They wanted to start a business and Anthony turned to Elizabeth and said we can start this business anywhere and I I don't want to leave the state of Texas but we can live anywhere we want to live. Where would you like to live? And she said I want to go back to Nacogdoches because that's my family and I want to be a part of First Baptist Church. And she came back here with Anthony and her precious daughters and they invested their lives in this church. And Elizabeth is in heaven today because some people took the time to love her into the kingdom. Elizabeth has a brother who is a Latter-day Saint. He's a Mormon. He's a precious man. His name's Patrick. Did you know that the year They lived in Nacogdoches that Elizabeth was picked up and brought to this church. Somebody else picked up Patrick and took him to the Mormon church. And Patrick still practices his faith as a Mormon. Elizabeth has three other brothers besides Patrick. Patrick is her twin brother. She has three other brothers besides Patrick. Nobody ever took them to church. And to this day, they're still not believers. God is our salvation. He's our protection. He's the reason that Elizabeth celebrates today in heaven. But the reason Elizabeth celebrates today in heaven is because people were willing to get involved and to serve. That's our job. Your job and my job. God is our stronghold. That word stronghold, we, we tend to, to give it over to Satan. You know, we, t- we talk about alcoholism or we talk about smoking or we talk about all these things and we say that Satan has a stronghold in our life. And that's, that's a crying shame because stronghold is a word that's associated with God. He's my shield, the horn of my salvation. He is my strong hold we need to think the opposite of a stronghold it's not that satan has a stronghold in our life we need to turn our lives over to god and let him have the stronghold if you give your life to jesus christ the understanding is that he wraps your arms he wraps his arms around you and he will not let go he is the stronghold of your life i don't know how many of you have an older brother i have an older brother My brother's about seven years older than I am when we were young. If my brother wrapped his arms around me and started torturing me, which he did on a regular occasion, much to my chagrin and for some reason my parents didn't step in as often as I thought they should. But when he used to do that and he used to grab my head and get his fist like that and go like this on my head and just start rubbing, I could have screamed but I couldn't let go. I couldn't get loose because my brother had me and he was eight years older than me and he was stronger than me. Well, that's the understanding here of God being your stronghold. He grabs you and he does not let you go. If you turn your life over to him, he will be your protection. Edward Mote wrote this hymn that most of you are familiar with what you may not know about Edward Mote is that he was a cabinet maker and then later on in life he became uh, called into the ministry and he decided to start preaching. And then he started preaching and I read the other day and I, I could not believe this, but it's true. It's everywhere that I read about Edward Mote that once he became a preacher, he went to a church and he started preaching and he preached for 21 years and never missed a Sunday. Never. 21 years straight, and never missed a Sunday. And this is what he wrote. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. And every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Where are you standing today? Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for your incredible protection in our lives. And Father, we are grateful that you are our solid rock. Thankful for the promise that you give, your unfailing promise to be our protection And God, as we enter into this time of decision where, Father, you may have pricked somebody's heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray that you would, Father, allow them the freedom to do what they need to do. Father, we love you and we thank you for your many mercies in our life. And we pray all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. We're going to sing trusting Jesus here as Andre comes. Let me just make you aware of a couple of things. One is this altar is always open. If you want to make your way to the altar and you want to spend some time in prayer, you're more than welcome to do that. If you want to join this body of believers and place your membership into this fellowship, we would love to have you do that. If you want to know more about what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ, how you can experience his perfect protection, I would be more than happy to talk to you about that. Whatever decision that Christ has placed on your heart, I would be more than willing to meet you at the front as you stand together and as we sing.